You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Brittany March. What's up, Brittany? Peace Pipe. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're here on today, which is February the 7th, which is Jay Dilla's birthday. Yay. Hey, happy birthday, Dilla. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it is. Yeah, just I did a couple of interviews over the last week with um, Asia Shine of Fusicology on um, her Dilla Fest event and then also with Jay Dilla's mother. Nice. Yeah. So those will be super dope. Yeah. As well as a um, a couple of other special interviews with people who were significant in Dilla's life. And so look for those interviews coming up. Um, How's your week been, Brittany? The week has been good, Pipe. Um, Just working. Um, Things are finding its way to, um, in, in the nine to five world, elevator world to kind of, I wouldn't say normal, but definitely a, a, a nice pace at work with some people going back into buildings and things of that nature. So, so you uh, can say things are moving up. <laughs> things are moving up. How was your week? Oh, um, yeah. Just doing all these extra shows, a lot of organizing and yeah. So just a lot of growth happening behind the scenes in um all my endeavors um yeah i found a studio to work nice. with um to shoot out of and did nice. a nice with that and um yeah so just working on everything behind the scenes that's pretty much it nice nice yeah. nice nice so let's get on into it it's dilla's birthday right Yes, it is. Everyone that loves Dilla, the whole Dilla pantheon and the Dilla legacy. Thank you, Jay Dilla, for creating Neo Soul and giving us so many great beats and putting Detroit. Detroit was already on the map, but uh, carving out a space for us in hip hop history. I mean, Dilla, what were you, where would you say with with Dilla's, um, I don't know, use of technology, right? Mm-hmm. And... Detroit being known for techno, right? Yeah. Where would you say that, like, could you, is there any connection there to that sound that? You know, Amp Fiddler, legendary funk legend, Amp Fiddler, who played with Parliament Funkadelic, who still lives in the same house, by the way, mm. on the east side, what's the area called Conant Gardens, actually had a space in his basement where he welcomed, and he still does, welcomed, young people from the neighborhood to come use the studio, um, learn how to use the equipment. He would teach them. He spent time with them. And Jay, he taught Jay Dilla how to use the MPC, which is a beat making machine. And so, um, you know, Dilla, basically the Dilla sound came from him tweaking that MPC and actually carving out his new sound or creating his new sound. And um, 
you know, he broke one and that one he gave to Wajid and that is how Wajid's sound uh, began. And then he had another one and he broke that one and he gave that mm. one to uh, Tarak. And that's how Tarak's sound was created. But definitely um, we interviewed DJ Head a few, some episodes ago uh, and you know, the legendary music producer, DJ Head. Who, that's a, that's who, one of my favorite shows. Yeah, he produced The Chronic uh, 2 with Dr. Dre, and he produced, um, you know, the Eminem, My Name Is, and like that whole album, and, and a lot of other things, a lot of other things that he is responsible for, but he actually has the um, SB1200 that Jay Dilla produced. A lot of, you know, um, famous uh songs that we know today such as um tribe called quest you know um the music he did with janet jackson so he actually i know he did music with janet jackson well you know so jay dilla i mean he was known for revolutionizing or um helping people move into the future with their sounds like when tribe changed their sound it was mm-hmm. Jayla's foundation when um, Janet changed her sound, you know. All that. Um, oh, yeah. She changed her sound. Like, that was Jay Dilla. And just so many more. And, yeah, I would say there's definitely the connection between technology or living in Detroit and just that legacy of, you know the car industry and all the people who, you know, put the world on wheels, if you will, um, working in the plants and that type of industrial um, workforce culture that permeates here in Detroit mixed with the, um, the, the Motown legacy, right. And Barry Gordy creating the, uh, modern music industry as we know it today and taking this concept of the line right from the car industry and putting that into music and then creating if you will an assembly line for musicians and artists where they are groomed and they are have you know music and and, and voice and dance lessons and where he had a band that, you know, was the main band that, you know, wrote all the songs, you know, he had writers and, you know, the band of Funk Brothers played everything. And so Dilla, you know, we're the same age and um, the same sign. And he, you know, born the same year, you know, and Mm -hmm. we're from that, you know, Gen X generation that was like, the hip hop generation, right? But we grew up on, you know, like the soul music of the 70s and the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. And up in this Detroit, you know, industrial type of um, culture, if you will. And then also, too, Dilla was influenced by techno music because, you know, in Detroit, you are surrounded by techno music, right? And mm-hmm. techno music is from the hood. It's of the hood because Black people created the techno. And so being 
immersed in all of that, you know, um, in Detroit, we have a dance called the Jit. So, you know, when you go to the clubs and everything and you're dancing to hip hop or R&B or soul or techno, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so all of that is very... I mean, just thinking about like growing up, like as a kid and at Fridays, right? They would on the radio station, they would play the Detroit mix, right? And it was everything from Godzilla to, oh, oh, work it, work it, oh, oh, like all that, like, blues, like dance music, techno music, house music, just like, oh my God, it's like so different. And it's like, feels like every time you could, I would remember being like six and hearing it. And I remember being like 12 and hearing it. Then I remember being like 25 and hearing it. I mean, every time you hear it, like, it's just like amazing. Like you get this like nostalgic feeling. Like, so you talk about jitting and, and then I think about the skate, like, you know, we talk about Chicago being a huge, you know, footwork, like also having, you know, dances that are like very similar and music, house music that's similar. And then their skating scene too is like incredible, right? Uh, ballroom scene is incredible like so it's just so funny to me how the sound like you just mentioned like the automotive industry right like the automotive industry is like the big three but the big three it's not just the big three it's like all their suppliers like right it's like this whole industry that falls behind the big three being here so when you talk about like techno music or that 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 sample that sound that that Motown feel that 6070 feel that's in Dilla's music right it's like so much that is involved in that right it's not just the music it's a whole culture it's a dancing it's you know it's hip-hop it's dancing it's skating it's like this whole thing you know what I mean so it's just like so cool that something like a sound can translate into a whole entire industry if that makes any sense yeah and you know that and that's how neo soul you know when you think about neo soul it's the it's the melding and immersion right Uh, yeah like hip-hop r&b you know and you can hear the technology right the technology Mm -hmm. it might not be the bpms but you could definitely hear you know that electronic sound yeah in what he was doing so definitely definitely um like i said i got a couple shows that are in the mix um, for the month of February, because February is Dilla month, including Black History Month. So yeah, um, happy birthday, Jay Dilla. Thank you so happy much. Happy birthday, Dilla, for sure. So let's talk about this Super Bowl, yo. We just finished yeah. watching. I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna keep it a buck. I don't care nothing about no sport. Uh, mm-hmm. I was here for the entertainment. But before we get into the entertainment and all of that, I wanna just have this conversation right here with you right quick. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to play this little clip. This clip is um, from the, I'm going to play a couple of clips from you, okay? Okay. I'm going to play like uh, two clips. All right, let's see what this says. Now you may hear behind me, the parties have started in downtown Tampa. Anyone not wearing a mask can be fined up to five and on Sunday, fans will receive these KN95 masks as they walk into Raymond James Stadium. Okay, what do you think? They, they were giving people masks. 
as they went into the stadium, those N95 masks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you, you paid, see them? I did not. You know, I'm just, it, it, it's not shocking, but it is interesting to hear that that was one of the things that they did. I mean, I didn't see, paid, I didn't see the, no K9, I didn't see K95 masks. <laughs> I'm looking on TV now. And like, as we're talking, this, the game is in the third quarter with a minute, about a minute left. And uh, I'm looking on the field. I don't see everybody. Everybody has on different types of masks. I'm trying to see if they're going to show the fans. No, they showed the fans a bunch of times. No, and no mask. I, I didn't see. But I mean, I'm, I'm not there. But I didn't see no masks. Um, all right, I want to play another clip for That's you. Hilarious. All right, let me see. <laughs> Super Bowl parties worry Dr. Aziz Shah. I think it's really important that we don't have these large indoor gatherings. You also have people who are screaming and yelling at the television. The virus spreads a lot more efficiently <laughs> when people speak loudly, you know, and that's going to unfortunately make things worse. What do you think about that clip? That made me chuckle and they're like, people are screaming at the TV. I mean, at this point, I think it's, I think like it's a, uh, like what they did with the holidays, they tried to get people not to go home for Thanksgiving and people didn't listen. So, I mean, I think people at this point are becoming to get again, like in the summertime, noited with this COVID restrictions and being around people. The restaurants just opened back up here. Atlanta's been fully open. Florida is fully open. So it doesn't shock me that people are gathering for Super Bowl at all. I know so many people who through Super Bowl parties and you know so I don't know we'll see if if it does something to the numbers in the next couple weeks but I know a lot of people I got a clip for you I said I got a clip for you okay Dr. Freer flatly advising that it's a bad idea to hold a party and mix things up with people from other households so that's the Dr. Ferrer. And he's saying people should not be having Super Bowl parties. Too late, bro. Too late, right? Way too late. Wow. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I don't know. Like, If Atlanta's fully open and Florida's fully open in Ohio, you can go to a you can go to a basketball game in Ohio right now. Like go to a Cleveland game, Mm -hmm. Cavalier game. So it's going to be pretty hard to tell people not to get together. I'm just just saying. Wow, man. All right, let I me mean, another one for you. Um, listen to this. With just two days to go until the big game, big worries tonight. The Super Bowl could turn into a super spreader event. Every fan will, be, will have nobody seated in front of them. Nobody in behind them, as well as wipes and hand sanitizer in restrooms, which not only have physical distancing, but touchless. It's the first ever cashless Super Bowl. I don't know. What do you think? Sure. I mean, their corporation and part of them reducing liability is doing a PR on the fact that they're being safe. So that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the truth is, is just that when people get together in large gatherings, social distancing, I was talking to this guy, this customer who was telling me, 
he didn't like the word social distancing. The choice of words is a is a, he thinks it's a set of programs alone. Like he doesn't think it should be called social distancing. I forgot what he said it should be called, but the point I'm making is is when people it's human nature. People do not know how to follow the rules when it comes to space. Like so. I just don't think people are going to be, it's going to be hard. all those people at the Super Bowl. It's a full stadium. Like you, know how many people you have to have on staff to be sure people are, are following the rules. So like my thing is, is when, even when they like had the malls open where you could go to the mall and shop, but you can't go to a restaurant. Right. Like I feel as if it's easier to, to manage social quote unquote, social distancing um, more so in a restaurant because you have so many seats, right? You can say, okay, we're only going to be serving this many people. But in a mall, you can't constrict who, who's, who's social distancing and who touches what. And a restaurant is more, is more condensed, it's more controlled. So once you open up one thing, like once you have a city, people traveling all the way to Atlanta to just party, people going to Florida for a Super Bowl, like going to Florida to vacation, because nothing else is open, like it's almost a wrap. Yeah, it's wild. I'm like, speaking of which, you saw the halftime show? Uh, saw seventy percent of it. Yeah. Did you see like the beginning, at least like to the middle? Yeah, it was it. It was. I thought it was beautiful colors. Uh, I thought he sounded actually great. I'm not a huge fan of the weekend, but I'm not against him. I thought he sounded great though. Interview I mean, was good. You see how many dancers he had? Yeah, a lot. Oh man, the whole floor was filled up. Mm-hmm. I was it like, looked, whoa. It, it looked like 2019, right? There was a lot of people out there, yo. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have one of mask. Of course not. He got tested before he got on stage. I tested. I mean, it was a lot of people out there, yo. Like mm-hmm. a lot. Like how many people do you think was on the field with him? Uh, thousands. No, I'm talking about on the field with him dancing. Oh, hundreds. Mm. What you think? That many? It looked like a lot of people. It looked like a lot of people. I can't tell. I'd have to like pause it and count. That's hilarious. But I do like I like the lights. You know, you saw they had the lights in their hand. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the choreography, okay, just artistically, the choreography was dope. Yeah. Did he bring anybody else out or did he just do the show himself? No, nah, he did the whole show himself. I but, was really. But what was up with their, um, what's the thing? So was that the mask that he, that was the mask he wore, right? To the Grammys or what did he wear that? Yeah, I think it was when he won a Grammy, he like showed up like he was beat up. Mm-hmm. And then, so they wore that mask. Like all the dancers. I saw that. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. And then, um, I don't know. I think just the sheer, like, size of it all, that there were so many people. I feel yeah. like that made the show also amazing. Um, the formations and everything was pretty cool. You know, the fireworks. Um, and then, yeah, like the Michael Jackson light things you know that was lighting up like around the stadium mm-hmm. like the set design I that was cool too that was mm-hmm. um 
Anything else about the weekend's performance? Uh, I thought it was okay. Like I said, it he sounded great. It was. I don't think this was one of those like epic Super Bowl performances. I'm not bashing the weekend, but I thought it was mission accomplished. I thought he played records that everyone could relate to. You know, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Cause I love you. Like who doesn't know that song? Right. I don't even listen to this man, but I know that song because it's so epic. And there's a couple other songs he has that are, you know, big to that degree. So, I mean, I get the move to have him at the Super Bowl. He's kind of like that person that bridges the gap in between different, you know, like I said, everyone knows his epic song. So it's a diverse, you know, a diversity move for sure, a, a grabs move for sure. So mission accomplished, go to one to 10, give it a seven. And man, yeah, those are my thoughts. Alicia Keys. Uh, <laughs> Piper. We, we can move on. I mean, that wasn't even a performance. That was a- <laughs> <laughs> no, but what was funny was, okay, when I I was looking, so I don't have TV. I don't have a television. So mm-hmm. when I want to watch things live, or if I want to know what's going on in real time, I have to go to Twitter or or I look it up like on Google or like YouTube, right? Same, yeah. All right. So I go to Twitter. I'm like, okay, where's Alicia Keys performance? First of all, is people showing pictures? I'm like, why are people showing pictures of? Uh, and then the thing was, the pictures, if you go on to Twitter, they weren't even of Alicia Keys. It was of like the entire stadium from far away. And like you could see the screen, but the screen was mad far away. And like she wasn't even on the screen, or maybe she was, but you couldn't see it in the pictures. There was one link which I have and it was of alicia keys singing and i remember i sent it to you mm-hmm. I was like is this it and you were like no and i was like this is her singing the black national anthem but it's four months ago and you were like it's not it it's not it and then you sent me the link and it at that time it, you were like no this just happened like 31 minutes ago and I was like, how? Because when you sent it to me, I was like, it's the same video. She's got on the, the polka dots with the hat. And you were like, no. Then you were like, yeah. Then you looked at it and we were <laughs> cracking up. Like, because I was like, this is four months ago. How was it four months ago? But I guess it was just like a re-edited video. Like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. Like, I just, someone just uploaded this video. And sure enough, Here's this video 30 minutes ago with like the the teams that are in the Super Bowl, like standing there, like, you know how they are standing there and and, you know, waiting, you know, waiting for the national anthem. And then there's a video of like all these different events or people, you know, hanging out around Alicia Keys. So they basically take this pre-recorded video that you're talking about four months ago. And they stick it with this new footage. And it's like kind of weird, right? You would think that it would be a fresh Alicia Keys performance. And it just isn't. 
It's four month old NFL footage of Alicia Keys. It's hilarious. So I guess basically what probably happened, I'm just guessing. Jay-Z had the deal, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just making this up. Like, I'm just guessing. So Jay-Z just... got the deal. He's like, okay, I'm, you know, I got y'all. I'm going to do this halftime show for y'all. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. We got Alicia Keys. You know, we're going to have a weekend. You know what I'm saying? And I guess he called up Alicia and Swiss and was like, yo, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm going to do the, uh, the 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 national anthem and i could see alicia keys being like hell no i ain't doing no damn national anthem for no super bowl we've been out here kneeling for cap and why you out here trying to you know book the super bowl and i could see him be like nah 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 listen 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 this is what it is you gonna sing the black national anthem and then i could just see her being like yeah Okay, I'm with that. I'm with that. I could I could get with that. That's what's up. I feel you. I see where you're going. Then hilarious. He was like, okay, bet. Then she does the black national anthem. You see what I'm saying? But I bet you she was like, but I'm not about to be there with no tens of thousands of people risk COVID. And he so was like out of footage for we gonna video it. It's gonna be a video, you know, and then we'll show the video live. And she's like, all right, bet. I don't know. Something like that. What do you think? Something like that. It's just weird that she would, she was, they did it four months ago. Like, it's the Super Bowl. I'm just shocked. You know, the Super Bowl is known for even just commercials being new. They don't use recycled commercials. You don't never. I don't even watch. But this is how much I don't even pay attention to sports. Your link was like, no offense, some rando link. My mm-hmm. link was the official NFL link. Mm-hmm. And the, the official NFL link was uploaded four months ago. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. <laughs> we missed that. <laughs> that's wild. We, we totally missed that. Because I didn't see anything about it. Did you? About her doing that? I haven't seen no press or nothing. Yeah, that's so random. I missed it. And like. Yeah, yours was the new link. Mine was the the old link. It was up four months ago, and she was she had done the the anthem, the Black National Anthem, like four months ago. I don't know, like, what did you think about her rendition of it? It was fair. Alicia's cool. It was a nice performance. Again, nothing for for me like that was. It was Alicia Keys esque. She looked amazing though. Like that outfit she had on was fabulous. Mm-hmm. She looked great. Yeah. Um, I like that song a lot, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. But other than that, it was it was cool. I told you whose performance I like the most. No, nah, you can't have hers. It's mine. Oh, you gotta come on now. It's my favorite. It's mine. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> I'll definitely fight you for her for, for her. No pun intended. <laughs> That was an awesome performance. She was dope. Wait, let's hear it right quick. Uh-huh. I'm going to play the whole thing. It's like about three minutes. You cool with that? Sure. Okay. Signing tonight's performances is Warren Wawa Snipes. 
in celebration of our country. Performing America the Beautiful, please welcome multi-Grammy award-winning artist, Her. She was amazing. I mean, and she looked great. She played great. Yes. She was phenomenal. Uh, she was phenomenal. She um played, she 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 made it her own. Yes. And truly embraced it, right? Like truly embraced it and made it her own. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone forgot about Kaepernick. <laughs> I know, right? <gasps> of course they did. JZ already told you. He said we'd be he, when when they first asked him, like, I thought, you know, everybody when he did the press release that he was being over the music last year, people, you know, I think Charlemagne was the one who asked him, like, so what's up with the the Kaepernick? And he was like, you know, we we gotta move past Nilling. Like okay, we kneel, like, what's next? That's literally what he said. Damn. Damn. Well, yeah, I remember that. Now, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Whatever. it's interesting, because I saw on Twitter, everyone was, li- was listening to this, and the whole thing on Twitter, everyone was like, um, you know, talking about Kaepernick and everything. 
and then uh everyone was like so uh you know this her rendition of this america the beautiful it makes me just like love america (laughs) (laughs) that's funny it's funny but it's it's true it's like oh man like all the memes and everything was like oh i love america now because of her (laughs) that's so funny they show all these soldiers like saluting and they was like <laughs> they was like the, the one the funniest one i saw was you know how when they go like me and then they say them like that you know those twitter things like that yeah <laughs> the, the uh it was a picture and it was like of this black marine with his white glove, like doing a salute with a tear coming down his eye. Mm-hmm. And the top part said me, and it said, fuck America. And then <laughs> the bottom part said me listening to her sing God bless America. <laughs> Hold on one second. I gotta go. Cause you sent some to the chat. Like I saw a few of them that were hilarious, but I didn't see if did you send the her ones? Uh yeah, I sent that one to you Let's privately. <laughs> like that is so funny. I laughing. But it was a bunch of memes like that. And I was like, yeah, it's funny because like, yeah, where is Cap? You know, I see some of the ones. Yeah, I see what you were sending me. Okay. Are hilarious. Along those lines, right? Similar but different. Along those lines. I got another clip to play you. So we talked. Okay. Did we get a chance to talk about the Biden um, (laughs) inauguration? Not so much, but you know, the rhetoric there, right, was pretty much like um, about multiculturalism and this whole thing about like, we got to unite, you know, we got to go across the, the the aisle, we got to work with those across the aisle, which basically means like a return to neoliberalism, you feel me? Like the 70s. Well, just like a return to like, like, racism as usual <laughs> like like <laughs> regular racism <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay just don't be black love everybody is that what you're saying well so neoliberalism without getting all technical of i'm gonna simplify simplify i mean like super simplify it's pretty much like this idea of embracing um all the ideas of colonialism Right. Got right. you. Mm-hmm. And so it's like um, these ideas of capitalism, not not the extreme capitalism that we were seeing, but but yeah, even extreme capitalism in some cases, right? So um the ideals that America as the superpower, right? America as um this sort of savior, right? Um the flattening of identities, but more importantly is like the, I would say, acceptance of the American ideals, if you will. will. And so these ideas about 
people being upwardly mobile, like pulling up your bootstraps. Um, and, you know, success and achievement, uh, black excellence, like, you know, these, these things that are, I'm going to say more on the surface level, but things that, oh, that, you know, we see that American culture is based on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, get the house, two car garage with the two cars, you know, um, this sort of like elevation of the middle class, no, no offense to the middle class, you know, but this sort of elevation of that, right? This type mm-hmm. of capitalism. So, and then all of the things that we, that when I say we, I'm talking about the collective we don't see that goes into ensuring that, you feel me? Mm-hmm. So all the things that ensure that is your military, right? So you have, you know, all these types of things, right? Business, like big business, right? Like, so favoring big business over people or like bailing out banks or some shit. You feel me? Yeah. And um, just these really terrible things that, you know, keep the the dream alive, if you will. So um, we could we should probably do like a whole show on neoliberalism, but in general, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could say like Obama, right? Mm-hmm. Was like, you know, um, neoliberal, like bourgeois Negroes are neoliberal. Um, hmm. The idea of, an idea such as, okay, you can, you know, have all of this money and this capitalism, but these businesses giving back, right, to the mm-hmm. poor. But they're taking from the poor. Why can't you wouldn't have poor if the businesses would pay people properly and treat them well and take care of them? You feel me? Yeah, I do. These are all neoliberal ideas. So anyway, I could go on. We could we could do a whole show on it. But with that, (laughs) shout out to her. I'm going to just shout out that she did her performance um, really well. And what about the young lady with the poem? That was what you think about her poem. Uh, I was going to do her after. Uh, I want to play this Jasmine Sullivan right quick. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. But we could go to her. You want to go to Gorman first? No, no, please. Okay. I just was mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about her. Um, I want to play this. I want to play this. Um, so, okay. With that, because it because this also goes with the Gorman thing, I want to say. Um, Jasmine Sullivan did her thing. Right. I, can, I didn't really hear it. I'm so excited to hear it. Yeah. Jasmine, saw it, let's do this. Let me play it first. And then we had a conversation. Is that cool? Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Let me turn it up. All right. Here we go. Service color guard from the military district of Washington. Oh, shit. 
All right. So, um, that was awesome. She was great, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so on Twitter, they was just like having a ball, man, eating that up. They was just That's cool. junk about how it should have just been Jasmine by herself. I mean, basically, I told you, I, I just remember her blowing him out the water, but she wasn't trying to. She was just doing her. Yeah, she was amazing. <laughs> she wore that white suit. She looked cute, too, in her white mm-hmm. suit. She did. She and looked really good. I learned on Twitter this was the 30th anniversary of um, Whitney singing it. Oh, was it? Man, that'll never be another. Yeah, and you know, when Whitney killed it on that with her tracksuit. But um Yeah, we used to play that before our basketball game before but instead of somebody singing it. Mm-hmm. We sometimes had people in school sing our national anthem before the game. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly a recording of the Whitney Houston. <laughs> well, you know, so with this one, yeah, shouts out to Whitney Houston, rest in power. Thank you, Whitney. But with this one, um, what, what what I found interesting is, okay, that's what I want to talk about, the Gorman thing. So I think that they had um, both of them, because like I said at the inauguration, did you notice the rhetoric at the inauguration? Yeah. Where they were saying they wanted us to unite and all this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And how they, you, you know, at the inauguration, they had Garth Brooks. Yes, you told me that. Yeah, they had Garth Brooks and this poet. So this kind of reminded me of that, you know, like, because Jasmine Sullivan is definitely like a soul R&B singer. There's nothing pop about her. Nope. Uh, she's definitely like, like a definitely like soul singer. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so to have her with a definitely like country guy, because that sound right there, there was nothing pop about his country music. Like that was country. Yeah, it's like the save, save the dying genres, national anthem. That's funny, but even I think, though, but I think it was I, more like they were trying to show the multiculturalism. You see I what I'm think saying? So too. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to say like, oh, we need to unite. So it's like she's 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 representing like the Black Lives Matter, you know, and then he's representing like Proud Boys. The Proud Boy was not even Proud Boys like the because uh, you know the Proud Boys got people of color in there that mm-hmm. uh, he represented the people that uh, stormed the uh, Capitol, <laughs> right? You know the 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 Wonder Bread with um, American cheese and mayonnaise. You know what I'm saying? It was mm-hmm. <laughs> Oscar Mayer. You know what I'm saying? Like. That so he was representing that, and you know, I think they was basically trying to tell that story. You feel me? Yeah. So, but okay, they brought back the little. Well, I shouldn't say little, but she's little to me. But the young uh, poet laureate, who was not only the first, the the youngest poet laureate to give. Um, the, uh, her poem at the inauguration but also at the Super Bowl mm-hmm. you know so that's two firsts for her a couple weeks apart um, Amanda Gorman you know she's young man how amazing is she like what okay this- so I I view this poem though was kind of more like a commercial 
Yeah, it was for sure. And so with the Jasmine Sullivan performance, basically, if you saw the visuals, right? Well, you saw they opened with the what was it, the Army's band, right? The Army's marching band. And oh, yeah, was, yeah. If you see all through the video, it was all this like military visual stuff, like all the different military, they, you know, they're promoting the military, you feel me? And mm-hmm. so all that was like, and those are the two populations that they promote the military to. You know that, right? What's that? The poor white. Oh, the ones that were, and, yeah, I got you. Yeah. And, um, and also, you know, black folks, you know, the poor people in general, but yeah. So, um, there was all this, like, that was like advertising to me also too, having them do that national anthem. But mm-hmm. with the Amanda Gorman, it, um, and also the Jasmine Sullivan, you'll see all these like references, but the the Amanda Gorman's is dedicated to the teacher. You feel me? So they're basically trying to equate a teacher to me, like just with her lyrics and the whole visual thing to a soldier. So it's also still like this sort of reference yeah. to military type. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going to play the Amanda Gorman because that was a pretty... Actually, I wanted to play before that, I wanted to play this other clip that I found, which was um, an interview she did before the Super Bowl. Let me see how long this clip is. It's not that long. It's like a minute long. She she was on um, what's his name? Trevor. Mm. Noah. Trevor. Oh Noah. yeah. He let his hair grow out. You know what he? Mm-hmm. What do we have? Do we have four C? Yeah, basically. <laughs> he let his hair grow out. That Trevor Noah. He looks like a That's different hilarious. person, doesn't he? Yeah, basically. Him and Jay Z are two of the people that let their hair grow out. They look like different people. Jay-Z is hilarious with his hair like that, but I'm not mad. So this is her. Um, I'm going to just play this one-minute clip. I think the full interview is on YouTube. But this okay. was her. Um, she slated, the, you know, to play the Super Bowl, but this was her, like, earlier. Mm-hmm. You are slated to perform at the Super Bowl. That is correct? Yes. I didn't you understand, you understand the juxtaposition of this right now, right? Poetry at the Super Bowl. You understand the levels you've made it to, where they were like, this person is so good that we have to bring her to do poetry at the Super Bowl. Right. (laughs) Literally, that went over my head um, because I knew about the Super Bowl and the inauguration around the same time, and it was like there was not space in my head for both. Like, I kept being like, I gotta write that inauguration poem, and my team was like, there's this little thing called the Super Bowl, which you should also keep in mind. And so, you know, it's very rare. And I would say, you know, if not, you know, an extant possibility that a poet will be at something like the Super Bowl. It's just nothing I have really heard about before. And so right. the moments I strive for in my lifetime, which is to bring poetry into the spaces that we least expect it so that we can fully kind of grapple with the ways in which it can heal and kind of resurrect us so um that was her yeah she's the bright one isn't she Mm -hmm. 
How old is she? Like 21, 22? Yeah, she's, yeah, she's 22. She's 22, right? Good for her. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. And um, I mean, I thought that too, right? Like poetry at the Super Bowl, but it just makes me think like, why? I'm such a skeptic, but I'm like, why, why, why? Um, and that's, no, I, you know, keep thinking about like, why? You know what I mean? Or no? Yeah, I said, you know why though? They're trying to, Biden already said, this is the time for healing. So, you know, the biggest, I think the their administration is being told, you know, you were voted in by a segment of people. You have to, you know, continue to uh, relate to them. So part of this, I think, new administration feel and this whole new direction of where America's going, like you said, is us accepting each other and everybody say they're supposed to love each other. And so in order to heal, that's what they're pushing for. I think that's they what they think that needs to look like for us to us to really move forward. So I think whatever. Like I get it. Voice of the poem. I just want us to stay focused on the things in our communities and the things that we're we're actively working on. I don't want us to get distracted. That's what happened mm-hmm. after Dr. King passed. It was everybody needs to love everybody. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of access to things, but it was used as a pacifier. So we have to be careful. We have to understand what, um, you know, no, you know, uh, it's not ironic. Carter G. Woodson, I learned a little bit about him from having to pick out some quotes to put on some pizza boxes. So I really was like looking at his, his foundational thinking. And man, he was like, to me, a lot like W.E.B. Du Bois, like a lot. And he also reminds me of uh, one other person um, in the way that he just uh, thought or whatever. And, and what I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that you have to have a space where you're doing something on your own. Like you can, it cannot all be given. Like people can facilitate and help based on that being their duty and what they want to do. But then you still as well have to know who you are. You still as well have to build on your own. So anytime there's a call for unity, that's cool. But we also have to have our own call and isms as well. That's all I'm trying to say. That's my only thing. Can you hear me? I hear you. Okay. But yeah. Well, let me play her poem. Cool. It was dedicated to the teachers, right? Cool. But I want you to listen to the lyrics and then you tell me what she's talking about. Okay. Today, we honor our three captains for their actions and impact in a time of uncertainty and need. They've taken the lead, exceeding all expectations and limitations, uplifting their communities and neighbors as leaders, healers, and educators. James has felt the wounds of warfare, but this warrior still shares his home with at-risk kids. During COVID, he's even lent a hand live streaming football for family and fans. Tremaine is an educator who works nonstop, providing
providing his community with hotspots, laptops, and tech workshops so his students have all the tools they need to succeed in life and in school. Susie is the ICU nurse manager at a Tampa hospital. Her chronicles prove that even in tragedy, hope is possible. She lost her grandmothers to the pandemic and fights to save other lives in the ICU battle zone, defining the frontline heroes, risking their lives for our own. Let us walk with these warriors, charge on with these champions, and carry forth the call of our captains. We celebrate them by acting with courage and compassion, by doing what is right and just. For while we honor them today, it is they who every day honor us. Okay, like, like the way that ended, that was dope. The epic they, music. <laughs> but I really, really loved what she said at the end. We have to think about the people whose job is to honor us. Like we're on we honor them because they're honoring us. Like I like that because um I'm running into more people who've served in the military, whether no matter how they got there, right? What what that why they chose to go to the military, right? But when they go there, these people, we have no, we see movies like Good Morning Vietnam, Dead Presidents, right? The kids play Call of Duty, right? There's this whole thing where we feel as if we know what war is or we know what military life is like. But we have no idea. Our country treats people with disabilities, Black people, and military. All three, okay, two of the three have built this country, right? And the disability, people with disabilities, they're people, those are people who, um, one, a lot of us have, anyway, the point I'm making about disabilities is, is people with disabilities did not choose to come here with a disability, right? So it's our duty to take care of them is what I'm getting at. And so the, to me, those through segments of people, including teachers and nurses, People don't take the time to really think about those those segments of people, and what those and and again, when we talk about honoring people that honor us, teachers whose life missions are to honor and to serve children, people in the military, right? I'm not saying to you I'm pro military, but there it just is what it is. People choose to go to the military, and when they go to the military, but they're but they're basically doing this serving and protecting us we live in this country there's a reality to us being black in this country but we're here so if we're here that means the people in the military are protecting us as well so i think we i think that poem of what she's saying we're honoring the people who honor us is very 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 powerful important for us to really really take the time to understand and appreciate those segments of people that i think we take for granted the amount of social work these people do you know what I mean? I don't know. Well, for me, um, I appreciate everything you're saying. It resonates. It resonates. Only thing I want to add is um, I will just say that I'm anti-military, right? However, yep. I'm, I'm pro-human, right? And I understand yep. a lot of our people are in the military. Like, that is what yep. it is against them. I appreciate their... I, I appreciate their um, hearts for thinking that the way that they think, right? Yeah. People yeah. in the military in general, not all of them, 
but in general have a thinking that they're doing something for us. Right. Yep. Yep. They're protecting us. So I appreciate that in their hearts, this is their intention, right? Yeah. It's to protect yep. us. I don't agree with them though. <laughs> I, I, I see the military as a business. I see these wars as business. I, yeah. see, I see them being sacrificed and yeah. un, unappreciated, not only under unappreciated, but just the undervalued yeah. garbage. You know, when people yep. that from the military, you know, they go in thinking that they are doing this noble duty. And then when they come back, they just get treated like trash. It's ridiculous. It, it, many of them don't get access to the benefits that they were promised. Many of them have to fight and can't get access to the education that they were promised. Um, many of them, you know, come back emotionally wounded, scarred forever. Many of them come back physically wounded, scarred forever and become disabled. Right. Whether yep. through trauma, like mental, emotional trauma or through some actual like physical trauma. And, um, you know, um, yeah, our veterans just get treated. I Horribly. had, I had a, um, a mentee. Wow. It's about a decade ago or more. And um, she was in the military and she's a poet. And I remember um, she would come to the gallery that I owned and she would do her poetry. And she said that that was the place where she felt free and the place where she felt supported, you know, to be able to do her, um, her poetry, right? And so mm-hmm. when she would do the poetry, she would, so, you know, she, we would have the open mic, she would do the performance. And then when she would complete her performance, she would cry, you know, and then she would come uh, to the gallery, like on days that she, you know, that just other days, right. And have conversation with me and she would just cry and she would say, you know, I come here because this place is very healing for me because I'm haunted. Like I'm haunted by the, cause she went through um, a tour, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Of active duty. And she would say, I'm haunted by the things that I had to do. I'm haunted by, you know, my thoughts. And she was like, it's hard for me to work. But when I go to the VA, the veterans hospital, in order for, me to get my um, benefits and in order for me to be able to um, you know get the uh, support because they offer them support right but they have to agree to certain things and sign papers and things and she was saying that in order for me to get my benefits in order for me to get the support that I need um, I have to go to the hospital what you know I don't know what it was once a week or something like that and um sign in and then take these tests to prove that I'm taking this particular medicine, right? Mm-hmm. And she hated taking the medicine because she said the medicine made her loopy, confused, um, uh, lethargic, you know, slower. And she said what was difficult is that she couldn't really get a job and hold down a job. Because every time she would get a job, she would go through all these emotional issues. Plus, she would be like physically slower. 
And so she was saying that she couldn't think, she couldn't, you know, she would get confused. And so she said, you know, and then uh, part of her face would go numb where she would drool a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was a bit slower. And she said she just could not function on her job. Like she couldn't even think, like have thoughts to like do her job, much less like physically do the job. She said, but she was trying to hold a job so that she could get off of these benefits, right? Because the benefits are like very minimal. It's kind of like being on welfare. But she said, because she couldn't hold down the job, she would get fired all the time, right? And so um, she said she kind of had to be on the benefits because she couldn't hold down the job. And that in order to keep the benefits, she had to do the medicine. So it was just like this conundrum and she would just cry because she was so depressed, you know, of being in this conundrum. Now she's one person, but there's- I mean, come on now. Similar kind of thing. I think so for sure. I mean, now these are two things I've heard from about the military. Okay. It's two things. One, depending on your type of lifestyle and what you have, the, the choices you've made and what you're not, you trying to figure out your life. When you go to the military, it exposes you to so much because all you're traveling, you're seeing, you're coming together with all different types of people. Right. And then the other thing that I've heard about the military is, which is rings true as well, that they just don't take care of the people once they, once, once, depending on, depending on, who you are, what has what your experience was in the military. It could be hit or miss if you are, to me, giving you the benefits that you deserve. I've heard horror stories and I've heard people who highly recommend the military because of what it can do to jumpstart your life, right? So it's just kind of like, it bothers me that people who do their bargain when it comes to the military do their part of the deal and don't get what they deserve back. That just really burdens me. It just does. Like no one, I know so many people who also come home and are older veterans who have to, like you said, sit and be on the phone for hours, go into all these places to fight for the things that they should have been, that should be given. That should be already organized through our government. It should automatically come to them. You can tell who's been in the military. They could probably tell who's, who was in the military in the nineties with all the, even without the social media and and uh, shorter access to technology. I'm sure it was easy for them to tell who was in the military. There should be no reason why, if you were in the military, you need to apply or do anything special. It should automatically be be yours. That's wild to me. No, it's just so. With that, um, I think, you know, all this imagery, like during Super Bowl, right, where they're selling um, the military, you feel me? Mm-hmm. They're selling people on um, this idea of... Um, I don't know even what, like, I don't even know what the, what the idea was. Cause like, did you, I guess that it's noble, you know, um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I guess that's what they're selling people on is that it's noble, huh? What? That is what? That it's like noble. I mean, because like when you think about it, right? When you look at it, um, like the, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what I saw as far as like, you know, because you know, when you see images, right? Um, they Super Bowl is basically supposed to sell you stuff. You feel me? Right. And they're selling you images. They're selling you ideas. And for me, um. I'm I'm actually like confused as to like what they were actually like trying to sell, if that makes sense. I think that they they know that they have a bad reputation for there's a bad reputation that the country's own military isn't taken care of. So I think that any chance organizations like the NFL, you know, they make so much money. You know, so many veterans are fans of the NFL that it's their social responsibility to highlight the military. But in turn, I think it, what it is is definitely an advertisement for the military, period. Yeah, period. definitely. Definitely. Because it was so much, it was so much military like Esque, yeah. uh uh imagery and so much military like um even even just like the music had all like military undertones, like all of it did. True. You know, all the performances had like military undertones. I think also too, um, yeah, the imagery, just like I said, like all the different facets of it was just like a big commercial. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For the uh for the for the military. It's just amazing. But um and then it was like all the military like visuals like all around. For me, mm-hmm. it was normal. Like for me, I felt like it was a bit more than more than I'd seen in the past. You know, what mm-hmm. I, mean? I don't know. What did What did you think? Um, I, I I would say from my experience of watching the Super Bowl, it definitely had a, a huge military undertone. But again, I don't really watch football, so I, I could be wrong. But I I do see what you see for sure. I just felt like. It was so laden with like so much military. Like I feel like I hadn't really seen that much like military presence at a Super Bowl. Except, you know, when I I feel like it was back uh back in the uh in the days of um I hate to say 9/11, but it had that kind of feeling to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had that it definitely had that kind of like 9/11 type feel to it. It was just like wow. I don't know. It was just uh it was just strange, you know. It was just strange, yeah. strange to um strange to like see that much um I don't know, uniformed presence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At uh, a sporting event. So, 
So I don't know. Um, it was definitely a message for sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the message is like, okay, get ready for something. You know what I'm saying? Like, or boldly. Or I don't know. I don't know what, what it means. But it was definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. That was that was pretty interesting, but I don't know. Great yeah. performances. Um, shoot, we didn't even care about the game. No, not really. And nobody was kneeling. No, no one. Was and there kneeling. was a lot, a lot of white players uh, highlighted. Like the black players that I did see in all of that when they did like spotlights, and I'm not talking about through the game. I'm just talking about in all this entertainment stuff. Mm-hmm. But one time I saw black players, they were like talking and goofing around. It was during Jasmine Sullivan's performance. Okay. <laughs> and, but all the other like visuals like that I saw of players was like all white players. Interesting. And they were all into the music <laughs> or they were focused on the game. I don't know, but. It looked the same. <laughs> it just had a very um this had a strange this Super Bowl had like a real strange like feel to it. It definitely did. It, it definitely like, did. It felt weird. It felt foreboding. It felt eerie. There was something eerie about it. You know? Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we uh, we've been talking for a buck ten, and uh, actually, it was good though too. It's food. I want to hear about your business, little lady. Oh, well. Um, start from the beginning. Start from the beginning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, last year when you dragged me and uh, to Willis Showbar uh, after the. Um, women in hip hop retreat. Um, it's food really did a lot of different types of food with the help of Shannon, who's moved on. Sonata's moved on. Shout out to her and uh, you know Black Coco Bakes, who was a really, really you know I'd say vital in getting it's food rolling and doing pop ups and helping us understand. Uh, taking food to the next level, right? Uh, just because she's a trained chef, a trained baker. So, you know, we 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 definitely had a great time. You know, our last event was March 12th, I think. It was the day that the state put the restrictions on for everything and became a state of emergency. It was the day, the same day of that. She put the restrictions on on our last pop-up and we had planned to have a like a, this great pop up. Um, so many people were telling us we were gonna they were gonna come, and by seven eight o'clock, people were telling us that they couldn't come because of the state emergencies and they they had to play it safe. And I remember just being like, you know, it is what it is. Like we literally worked from the time we went to Idlewild from July until January. I, no, until July of last year, after the, after Idaho, till March, 
we were busy Piper. Like I'm talking about, we had things like twice, two or three times a month and still working, right. Still doing the nine to five, still being a human being. Right. Uh, we were making it work though. Right. It was, but it was busy and March hit and didn't realize like how much we were doing, like how much food we had made, how, how many people we had touched. And it kind of COVID kind of gave me a huge perspective on all that, like we were able to accomplish through just simply, you know, doing one pop-up at Willis show bar October of, uh, I think was October of 2020, October of 19, excuse me. So, um, yeah. So during COVID, just trying to figure out, you know, what the next steps were, you know, from the period of March all the way until like, I'd say, um, really September trying to figure out what is food to trace direction was going to be, you know, just trying to really understand, you know, the pop-up, pop-up business, the food industry in general is a tough industry. If you say you're going to do food, you're telling yourself that you're not, you're going to have days where you, you're not going to sleep. You're going to have days where, um, you are, um, tired beyond means, but you're getting up early, especially if you're a baker, you know, it's something that you have to commit yourself to in order to be successful. And then it's not just about the food. It's about the business side of it. You know, we talk about the music industry and how people, you know, love music and they're talented. They can rap, they can sing. But what sets people aside is their way of how they look at themselves in doing a business. And and food is the same thing. So when you say you're going to do food, you have to really commit yourself. So with that being said, I mean, through COVID, it gave me the opportunity to really um, embrace and understand what we had done and then figure out what was truly right for is food Detroit. Like what direction with now seeing how a pandemic can completely control an entire industry. Right. We talk about how, you know, we talked about people not getting enough support, right. During COVID, um, in the food industry, right. The amount of loans and grants that went to all these bigger corporations that are disguised as small businesses because they have franchises were privy to the money that was supposed to go to true small restaurants. And it just didn't happen. You know, all the, I was in New York the week. So the week before our last pop-up, I was in New York. I was in New York the last week in February. And I went to several pizzerias like I did this huge like I think I talked about it on the show I went to all these different pizzerias in like a day and my friend Sharice um who's working out in Brooklyn she told me like two or three of the the pizzerias we went to closed during COVID you know so the food industry was completely ignored there was nothing really carved out specifically for the food industry for COVID protocols. Like they did a loan thing, the loan money got eaten up and that was it. There was nothing special for waitresses. There was nothing special for bartenders. There was nothing special for restaurant owners. There was nothing special for casino workers. There was nothing carved out specifically for the hospitality segment at all. So here I am 
in the midst of building a company that's food-based, right, from a pop-up application, and I'm seeing how a pandemic is completely destroying people's hard work and dedication, right? And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I avoid that, you know? And that was a transition within itself, you know? It was a scary thought from March to May, but then when COVID started to settle in in the sense of seeing how people took, were going to took COVID and realized how they were going to have to create new lives, people doing things online, people doing, you know, having groups, people um, saying they were going to invest in uh, themselves from a carryout perspective, you know, restaurants taking their little bit of outside spaces that they do have and creating a way, right? So through COVID through, I'd say April through June showed me that people still will eat out no matter what people in this society that we're living in, where people are working more than they rest, they don't have the time to cook food like they want, you know, they, or they were cooking food all through COVID and pipe. I'm listening. Okay. I was talking, I've been talking a lot. So yeah, they've been uh, cooking food all through COVID and they're tired. You know, they want something else other than their food, right? They're working from home, you know, and they're, but they're still working, right? They get done and they don't want to cook. So I realized that being in the food industry was still a necessity. My dad always said, if you go into business, go into a business where people need it. Let it be based in water. Let it be based in, um, you know, something that people need. It, let it, if you go in business, let it be a necessity where you're helping people, where you're serving people because it's a need. And so I saw that food is still a need. Preparation of good food is still a need in our society. And that gave me confidence to try to figure out, you know, and not be afraid to try to figure out or be vulnerable to what is food Detroit is going to, was going to look like, you know, here I am looking at all these other people adapt. And so I realized that I was, there was going to be, there was going to take, it was going to take some adapting for me too, to try to figure out what I would, what it would look like. And so, you know, I think I, I described that to you in, in my own way in, our, in one of our conversations and I got done and you said, well, you still want to do food, right? And I'm like, well, yeah. And you're like, well, look, there's this group that's getting started with this, us going, trying to figure out what post-COVID looks like and pop-ups and things look like. There's this push for the Mama Kua house and I think you should be a part of it. It's during the week, but you know, you said to me, you know, it might be a good opportunity for you up to just get back in it. And I'm like, that's perfect. You know, whatever it takes, you know, I'll, I'll figure out my schedule. But, you know, and sure enough, um, you know, again, we've talked about it. Detroit is the home of vegan chefs and people who cook. I mean, you can go anywhere in the city and find somebody making rib dinners on a Friday. You can go anywhere in the city and find a church up and down McNichols or seven miles, six miles, however you want to say it, and find somebody making catfish dinners. We are the city of out of the house, out of the basement, out of the trap, out of the, the, the church kitchen, chefs and cooks. And so there's this huge bubble of chefs that are dedicating themselves to getting vegan food out. I mean, there's trap kitchen, 
There's Black Cocoa Bakes. There's Lit Kitchen. There's Cooking with Q. There's Yum Yum Village. There's, I can go on and on and on. There's all these different Black vegan chefs, right? And so there's this ecosystem. And so sure enough, this group that you introduced me to was exposing all these different types of chefs, like giving people a chance to cook again in a format where it was safe, it was clean, you could do a carryout properly, people could come in and still, by social distancing, still engage with other people, right? They still were having the ability to eat food, support Black business, and engage at little, you know, at the little. And so uh, shout out to GMAC. He's been on the podcast. He's a dynamic brother. You know what I mean? Uh, you introduced me to him on a podcast, but I met him in a different way through doing the Mama Akua House. And so we, we, you know, I told him I can do a variety of things. I can do Creole vegan food. I can do sandwiches. I can do all different types of vegan food just because it was what I was used to being in rhythm. It's not that I put pizza on a back burner, but you know, if I'm going to do pizza, it has to be right. You know, that's my passion and it's what I've been studying and it's what I've been, you know, really focused on for the last five or six years. And I didn't even intend to teach myself that. But the point that I'm making is, is that when I do pizza, the, the stars have to align. I have to have oven. I have to have the ability to let dough rise. I have to have the ability to store dough. So there's a lot that goes into doing a pop-up where, it includes pizza, but brainstorming with GMAC, he's like, look, you got to come check out this kitchen. I think it's going to be perfect for what you need and you should do pizza. He's like, we've been doing all kinds of vegan foods. You know, vegan food is evolving. You know, it almost is not even, that's why the company is called is food because it's not, to me, it doesn't even need a name anymore. It plant-based and vegan. To me, it's too, it has exploded to a point where it literally is just food. You know, people are making soups, they're making sandwiches, they're making cakes, they're making all kinds of things out of nuts and um, plants and things. that, And it's just food, right? It is literally food. So to G-Max's point, he had seen it all, right? Come through that kitchen, you know, Caribbean vegan food, burgers, vegan food, all kinds of stuff. So he says, we haven't seen pizza. And so I'm like, man, I've been up for a year now. I've kind of gotten comfortable doing and preparing food but it is this will be a good time for me to get back into doing my pizza I have been practicing on through COVID so I started by uh, I think we sold we sold out of the 30 pizzas the first time I did the Mama Akua then the second time I did the Mama Akua I did 50 pizzas and sold out as well and so uh, from there GMAC hit me up and, and says hey you know there's this martial arts studio on the east side you should, uh, you know, you should, you should make them pizza. You know, they love pizza. And I told them that you made pizza and you should come in, um, make them pizza. So I'm like, how am I going to do that? Like on my mind, I'm not definitely not going to turn it down. I love martial, art, a martial arts student on the East side. I want to see that for the documentary shoot. So I'm like, don't want to turn it down for that alone. But then in my mind, I'm like, how, how am I going to do this? So he like, oh, by the way, they got a full commercial kitchen. So I'm like, what? So the other thing, right, when we talk about the vegan chefs in the city and all these black people who are making all this amazing food, food license is an issue. My friend that inspired me to change my eating habits in college, right? I didn't grow up eating red meat. I grew up eating chicken, turkey, fish. And she grew up eating red meat, chicken, turkey, fish, 
And she was like my first friend in college that went vegan, like complete vegetarian. And she went vegetarian, but then maybe for two months and then she went vegan. And everybody used to talk about it, right? She was always fashion for it. She was always music for it. And she was always lifestyle for it. And so people would say to her, you know, well, what you going to eat? You know, and so we laughed that she was the first person to really explore veganism. And here she is living in L.A. She said, I inspired her with starting a pop-up business. So she goes down to her clerk office, gets her food license. Now she's about to get a food cart. But here in Detroit, they make it impossible almost for a black person to become equipped with the food licensing and properly own a, a food establishment. It's like trying to get a liquor license. You know, it's it's like gold, you know, because in order for you to have a food license or cannabis license. Yeah. Right. That too. And 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 the shame of that. Right. Because uh, I can get into the cannabis thing. That's a whole nother episode. We definitely should start talking about it. Black enterprise and cannabis. Um, But and how it shifted street street marijuana and how that's pitiful. Um, But back to food, you know. If you, you can't get your food license, you can't walk up in that, like L.A. and go say, hey, I want to do a food cart. And, you know, there's so many restaurants and things in L.A. that they that they it's like it's an open door for anybody here. It's a lot of food and it's a lot of food and there's a lot of competition to be the best food here. It's a growing scene, you know, legal food. Right. You know, Dan Gilberland down in Bedrock, you know, downtown. There's all kind of restaurants popping up, right? Even in the outskirts. And food where, carts. Yeah, and food carts, you know. But at the same time, there there is either you have a brick and mortar where you, you can bypass having a, you know, you have your own commercial kitchen. There's no in-between for people who are getting started. Either you gotta have a brick and mortar or you have to go through this, you have to have a commercial kitchen that your food license is, is attached to if you're gonna be doing a food truck or a temporary cart. And so for a lot of people, that is difficult. There are not that many commercial kitchens or people who know about commercial, who are openly saying they have a commercial kitchen where they allow for people to rent it, right? Oh, but we have one that's opening. I know you do, right? I know you do. And and I think people are so excited. The food co-op, the food co-op, not the food co-op. We're about to have it. So I'm going to bring some folks on here to talk about it, actually. And I'm excited for that because it's a conversation that needs to be had. The fact that Baba Malik and the things that you are doing to help build that. And it's it's a necessity. You know, the fact that they are already providing with the with D-Town Farms is providing, like giving people the ability to own. Right. I think you pay a certain amount and you have your member. You are plugged into their vision um, and then what their what their vision is and how they've been able to uh, give the you know the imagery the videos the 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 farming the 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 teaching the how they incorporate the kids and now you know the vision that's coming to light year by year of you guys having a full commercial kitchen offering classes having a food co-op where there's different restaurants I'm hoping to be a part of that you know so that is beautiful. And you know what I mean? Again, it's needed because in Detroit is so many chefs and people making great food, but you'll never know about them because legally they have, they, they're not able to be as uh, free as they want to be, you know? So 
a Kibalon village. I go there, I make these pizzas, and I did not realize that this place has been there since the 70s. They bought okay. it from of Kibulon mm-hmm. Village, right? Yes, yes. That whole heritage comes out of Operation Get Down. And Operation oh, wow. Get Down was a youth program that I was in in the mm. 70s. And my auntie used to work there. Shouts out to Frida Diggs. Frida Diggs, shout she out. Put us, me, all her kids, all of us, she put us in Operation Get Down. Nina Payne, my business partner, we talk about that. She was in Operation Get Down. Mm. lived on the east side. It was right over there on Gratiot. We used to go to Operation Get Down. They took us to the Babalo boat. They had the free lunches. <laughs> they you, you would get the free milk. I hated milk, so I used to drink the chocolate milks. They had <laughs> They had um, all types of stuff, dance and all types of stuff for girls. They had the pool table. The pink, pink, was it pinball machines? Mm-hmm. I mean, they had everything, but what I didn't realize at the time, but that it's so normalized for me now, is they were teaching us about, you know, African-centered principles. And they would give us their pamphlets, and we would pass those pamphlets out in the community. And they were talking about the Nguzo Saba, self-determination, all the programs they had there. Eventually, Operation Get Down turned into a halfway house for returning citizens or those that are recently, uh, uh, you know, uh, incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. And that's what Operation Get Down is now. But um, at, well, now Akibulan is like the youth, you know, and that type of programming over there. So all the stuff they did with us, like all that youth programming, all that is moved to Akibulan. Understood. so they grow food, they learn um, trades, they have um, workforce development, they have a computer lab, they have a skate rink inside. Yeah. Um, all these great things. Yeah, we used to go skating, we used to have all the parties, we used to have that dance contests. wild to me. Yeah. When and I'm walking in Piper, I'm like, what is this? I'm like, what is this? It's amazing. I mean, I, it is un, it's unreal. I mean, the uh, I've never seen like they told me that they bought the building from an Italian, an Italian family or an Italian mafia. And there's all these secret passageways like in this building. You go one way and you it's just like it, it's endless. It's endless. And so long story short, I meet Brother Cofield as he's eating this pizza that I made. And he's telling me about how much the martial arts studio, they love pizza. And, you know, that he'd love to think about doing some things. Long story short, we do a one event um, for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we did 50 pizzas and we decided that we were going to do a joint venture. You know, they have a commercial kitchen. They're not really using it. I have a nine to five. I'm trying to still uh, work on developing the end result for its food. Uh, it's perfect timing. It's exactly what, you know. I think it's perfect for what's is food to trade. I need my food licensing. I'm going to be able to obtain that through having access to a, to a commercial kitchen that's licensed, that's safe serve. Um, and I'm also going to be able to help the youth, you know, something that I'm very passionate about. 
you know, kids are great. And I've, I've worked with kids in a form of basketball, right? I envision myself working with kids in, in an area that I'm comfortable with, and it's through basketball. And I never would have imagined that, you know, me working on this dough recipe, me working on this sauce recipe, that I would have to position myself to share those recipes with children in a way that they are learning life skills. And it's it's challenging me because in order to do that, I have to be in, in, in a space and I have to be consistent. I have to hold myself to a standard. And it's not just me looking at recipes and, and making 50 dough balls. It's me now using a new mixer, making 100 dough balls, teaching children and, you know, serving a good product, right? I'm in a stage where people are finding out about is food Detroit. So that means that, you know, when I talk to the kids, I talk about doing everything with intention. I don't care if you're taking out the trash, you should be thinking about what it is you're doing and how you're going to do it. And then the next task after that, you know, so I explained that, you know, that over the weekend was our first, was our first a hundred dough ball uh, uh, event, you know, so we're going to be doing this, uh, every Saturday, G Mac and I, we, we talk a lot. We, we build a, we build a menu in two weeks. He was able to turn around an online ordering system. I was trying to figure out how to do that. Right. With me again, having this Saturday operation and me doing most of this on my own in the sense of, um, delivering and ensuring that this product is correct. It's important that there's a system, an online system that, you know, can handle orders. It's the orders, you know, but during the Saturday is going to be difficult to keep an ordering system in place. So the fact that GMAC was able to turn that around is, is unreal where people can go online, they can understand what they're, what, what they're supporting and then they can purchase a pizza, you know? So that was, that was awesome. And, um, the Kibalon has just already been just been an awesome place for where you know where it's food Detroit can grow and give back at the same time, and I'm just excited. You know, mm-hmm. the, working with these children is oh my god. I mean, Piper, you know, I uh, you and I talked I think Friday and we had a long conversation about character and respect and uh, communication. And, you know, in the kitchen on Saturday, I explained to the kids that were between children, excuse me, between the ages of 12 and 16, you know, G-Mac's stepdaughter, Shayla, you know, she's Mm -hmm. amazing. And so I put them, there were three of them, they were 12, 14 and 16. And I said to them, you know, that they were going to be the leads. And I, you know, I explained to them how it's important that they follow the rules because people are going to be looking to see if, if everyone follows the rules and if the leads don't follow the rules is going to be, you know, they're going to question why they, why they should follow the rules. And Mm -hmm. so I I went through certain process with them and I said, we have a a call out system. You know, if you see something that is a detriment to the final product, to someone getting a pizza that has intention in it, and that is the way that we intended to go out, it is okay for you to politely and professionally to call out that person and I said well in 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 if the person you notice 
does not have a set of gloves on in between handling vegan food and handling a little bit of the dairy, then that you need to nicely tell that person, excuse me, you need to change your gloves. I said, even if it's me, I want you to feel comfortable. If you see me doing something that is, again, not in alignment with us getting a, 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 the product out the way that we're supposed to, then you need to let me know that. And so to see children really listen and not say, Brittany said, but to say, hey, man, you know, you think you could wash your hands really quick? Well, why? Well, because if you look at these rules that are posted, I laminated the rules, the kitchen safety rules, and I put it right over the sink. I said, man, with these are the rules. You've got to follow the rules. It say, it say right here, you got to do this. And he said, you're right, man. It do say that. Take the glove, take his, took his gloves off, wash his hands. And it was no thing. It wasn't no beef. Nobody was mad. Someone said to me, hey, uh, I'm getting myself a set of gloves. Would you like a set? <laughs> I said, yes, I will. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to teach them the things that I've been taught about communication. We talk about learning from each other and applying it. And so this is a journey for me um, because it's not just me being in the kitchen by myself anymore. You know, I have to think about other people. So I'm out of my comfort zone and I'm happily out of my comfort zone because uh, this is a, this is an opportunity um, that I would have never envisioned. But it's at the same time, everything that I envisioned for, for myself and what I wanted to be with peace. I've always wanted to be on the East side. Um, I grew up in Warren. My mom, when she came here from Mississippi, excuse me, uh, Kansas City, she's from Mississippi. The first place she landed was the East side. She taught at, you know, she taught on the East. She taught at a, a middle school on the East side. She's taught at a lot of places, Robichard, McKenzie, uh, Persian, but her home was in, in the West side at Mumford High. That's where she spent most of her years teaching, but her beginnings were on the East side. And she always told me that some of her best students, some of the best kids she ever encountered in her career were on the East side. You know, there's a lot of love there. And a lot of a lot a lot of things that uh, we all can learn from by the way Eastsiders live, and I'm 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 honored to be doing this. So every Saturday, eleven to seven, is Food Detroit uh, under the name of Village Pizza in the collaboration with the Kiva Line. We'll be selling Detroit style pizza, and then in a few weeks, we're going to incorporate thin crust. We're going to incorporate some other vegan foods as the summer rolls around. But we're taking it one step at a time to ensure, you know, that we are giving a good product and, you know, really, really developing youth. And, and at the same time, you know, uh, not overworking the youth. Right. So as I'm learning, it's important that these children are learning and they're not being overworked. And the only way to do that is to, to concentrate on one product at a time. And so that's what we're doing. That's and, so and, we're, and we're paying and we're paying them. They're getting well, paid. yeah, because that's their workforce development program. Yes, yes, yeah. So that's amazing. That's amazing. So full circle. Yes, that's just uh, really amazing, Brittany. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of you. I'm very happy for you. This is dope. I'm excited for the youth too that they get a chance to learn. You know, with especially with someone like you, and you know that, um, just the whole thing. It's just super beautiful. Thank you, Piper. Uh, again, you are. Uh, you are, uh, you're amazing. And uh, I always say you bridge the gap. You know, you, you have helped so many people 
um, accomplish their dreams and get to connecting people, you know, you know, it, that's what this is about. You know, we talk about the Super Bowl and the imagery of working together and this and, and ending racism and racism being over. We got to end racism. But we have to talk about internally what it looks like to build each other up. You know, we can be mad at each other. We can not agree with each other's lifestyles. We can uh, be bourgeois. We can be hood. We can be backpack rappers. But we have to all find a way to connect. It's, it's the, the money is there. The, 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 the knowledge is there. But we have to do the work. No one's going to do that work for us. And uh, uh, it's, I'm happy to be in a position to where I can do some work. I'll just say that. So that's what's up. Yeah. Well, congratulations, my love. Well, thank you, Tyson Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. um wow. Well, you're gonna be there every Saturday. So that's every your- Saturday. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. Me too. Yeah. Me well, too. I think we can probably like put a pause here. All uh, right. I wanted to talk about a few things. I saw that film. Uh, a night in Miami. Mm-hmm. That, that film is so awesome. Uh, shouts out to Regina King. The entire staff is a great, you know, great writing, great play. It was beautiful cinematography. It was funny. It was done well. Um, love, 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 loved it. Um, I think it's an Amazon uh, Amazon original. It's on Amazon. Um, so j- yeah, just wanted to. And and I guess it's a part of the uh, Black History Month programming. I think it was done very well. It was an interesting story about a night. It um, talks about Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, all meeting when, uh, oh, and Jim Brown. Then they all met at this motel that um, was Malcolm X's room. And I guess it's a true story after Muhammad Ali won the heavyweight champion of the world. And instead of going out to celebrate, they went there and they talked about race and uh, class and culture and politics and everything. And um, I thought it was it was done very well. The acting was amazing. Um, The script was amazing. Um, You know, the dialogue was great. I think the costuming was perfect. I think it was all the actors did a great job. Like at, in, initially, you know, I thought, oh, people don't look like people, right? Like they don't look like the characters. I thought that too initially. But as but I watched, man, as I watched, they all did a great job in their acting to where I bought into the characters that they were. That's like, a great way to put it. And so um, great job to all the actors and great job to Regina King. Great job in the directing. Yeah, she did a great job. So, yeah. It was a unique perspective to see, to be honest with you. Well, the writing, um, the brother that did the writing, it was actually a play. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was a play. So she adapted the play or they adapted the play to this film piece, which is interesting because we never got to talk about the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But I, I can't see. I gotta finish it. 
I loved it too. I love that My Rain's Black Bottom too. I don't care what no one says. Like that film was dope. Same thing. Same thing with the uh, self-made. That movie was was tough. Mm-hmm. Self-made. Did you see it, Madam C.J. Walker? It was, I didn't see that one either. It, it would de- that one is Netflix. It deviated from the truth, but mm-hmm. like the story, the costumes. You know everything. It was a good story, so it was beautiful. But um, that's cool. But I I appreciate these films um, that deal with you know a different aspect of that time period, and they do bring in the challenges, right? That mm-hmm. faced, but the way that they bring in the challenges is in a way where the characters you get to see their strength. So you get to see that they get, had to go through these challenges, but you get to see their resilience and how, you know, they manage these challenges with resilience and, and strength. And um, for me, that is the legacy of being an African-American. That is the, our legacy, our culture is, is that resilience. And so um, I hate to use a word like dignity, but, mm-hmm. but that had been a part of our culture. I don't mean it in a negative sense, you know, as if to say that other people are not worthy. But I do think that this idea of dignity um, has always been a part of the African-American iconography, if you will, or Mm -hmm. the canonization of of the African-American, you know, human. There's always been this sense of, yeah, there's this, 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 this intense struggle and challenges but also this really strong resilience and um and dignity mm-hmm. and doing it with dignity and so i see that resonating in all these films as well as you know we black so black people like to dress and had a hair laid and stuff like that so mm-hmm. um while you know looking great and being sharp mm. you know and um and it was funny, you know, A Night in Miami was really funny. It, um, I, and, and all these films, you know, I just really love how the actors bring you to, into this humanity of these people. And um, I think so, too. It's a really simple. Like story. Sam Cooke's and uh, Malcolm X's interaction. Mm-hmm. Dialogue was uh, very intriguing. There were so yeah, many right? truths on both sides of what they both were saying to each other. Yeah. Right? It's just like I love that it. conversation could is had between brothers still today, you know. Yes. We got to see so many inter- I tell you the scene with Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali praying together. It's oh, like I felt that. Yeah, I felt that. You know, I, I thought about you when I saw that scene and uh I just uh, was, you know, in awe by it, you know. And that's the see- of Islam, is that you pray with your people. Uh, well, I'm going to say this for women, right? As a, as a woman, as a Black woman, for me, my experience is more in people's homes like that. You feel me? Or in private spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Of you know, worshiping in private spaces, not so much at the mosque, right? 
And so it's like you go over your friend's house and pray, right? Or you pray at your house or, you know what I'm saying? Or you're in like a a small, smaller setting or like there's just two of y'all. Like my experience with Islam has always been that studying with just like one person or a small group or having a sister or like a brother or something that just kind of show you how to pray, show you how to put right over left, show you how to, you know, turn your head each way. You know what I'm saying? Talk to you about Mm -hmm. the meaning of the words, talk to you about, you know what I'm saying? Like how your position and like, you know, the translations and then connecting them to the stories or like helping you connect it to life and like helping you understand, right? Like how to be, because you know, so anyway, that part really resonated with me too. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is. And it was, that was beautiful. What a beautiful film. Yeah, I need, I'm like, I told you, I'm 75% done. I got to finish it out. But I've, the, so far, I've been really enjoying it. It's so awesome. I love that film. I hope people go, I hope people see it. I'm like, go see it. <laughs> Is that no, a I'll show you. airport movie theaters? I know. They're back open. They opened up a drive through downtown. Where? But girl, on Dan Gilbert land, right there um, in Campus Marshes. Really? Yeah, powered by Imagine Theater. But I'm still going to be at the one in Florida, Wyoming. Don't you worry. That's my favorite spot. <laughs> the hood. Uh, that's, that's my spot. 12 minutes away. I love that place. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. But Man, um, that movie, that movie was so good. Like, it yeah. inspired me. That movie That's cool, Pipe. Me. The Self-Made inspired me. Shoot. Um... What's the name inspired me? The um, what's the other one I said? The self-made man of C.J. Walker. Oh yeah, another one that I just oh oh shoot the uh even even the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom inspired me. It was I sad. gotta see that. Mm-hmm. It was sad, but it inspired me too. I got you. Like her ability to be herself. Yeah, I gotta catch that one. That was inspiring. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've been on for a minute. I guess we can go. We can keep talking, huh? I know, right? <laughs> oh, you got to so. make the elevators go up and down tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. And I got a photo shoot tomorrow. Have a great photo shoot. Ah, thank you. Well, this has been great. Um, Tell us one more time about It's Food Detroit and like where to get the food from and how to get in touch with you and if you're doing catering and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, so... uh. For social media, the best way um, to get in touch is at I-T-S-F-O-O-D, Detroit. It's at It's Food Detroit. It's very simple. It's Food Detroit. And then as far as more information about the collaborative project with the Kibalon Village, you can go to www.vgnpza.com. It's short for Vegan Pizza. We do have options for carnivores. Um, what it kind of is, is you ever go to a restaurant and they have two options for vegans? Well, it's the other way around. It's mostly options for vegans with an option for your friend who just refuses to try plant-based food. So, um, like I said, we're there every Saturday from 11 to 7. Um, if you go to www.vgn pza.com every wednesday you can put your order in for saturday um and online ordering is from wednesday to friday 
Um, and it simply tells you, you know, you know, you pick which pizza, small or large. We have uh, specialty pizzas. You pick which specialty pizza you want. And uh, you pick a time slot of where you want to pick it up. And uh, we're working on being sure it's ready for you when you come. So um, we are, again, growing. We're working with the youth. So appreciate people's patience. And uh, the, the end result is is uh, having a final and great product. And, and I think that's that's what we've been doing. So that's how you reach us. Okay. Thank you so much. And Piper Carter Podcast. Thank you, Pipe. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brittany. Um, Of course. You know, you can always check us out on DetroitIsDifferent.net. That's where all the different podcasts are. You can check all of them out. And we're on social media. We are at PC.podcast on Instagram as well as Facebook. And we have a Facebook group as well. Got a couple hundred people in there looking for y'all to join the conversation. And that is Piper Carter Podcast. And, you know, you can always email me at Piper at Detroit is different and uh, dot com. Or you can email Brittany, Brittany at Detroit is different dot com. Ask us questions. You know, let us know what you think about this episode. Share, like and subscribe to this episode. And, um, you know, we have a lot of different episodes that will be coming out this month. So we're just really uh, excited about Black History Month. You know, once again, happy birthday, Jay Dilla. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and once again, we just really appreciate all you listeners, you know, just for tuning in and sharing the show. And yeah, we appreciate you. So we'll see you next week. weekly to the Piper Carter podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe, like, and share on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to the Piper Carter podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter.